Trudy Nixon cooks a mean pot of curry. This, however, is not the extent of her talents. Trudy was raised on a farm in a little town in the English countryside. By the time she had graduated high school, Trudy had developed a love for the arts, and especially for language and writing. Her university years gave her the opportunity to explore several facets of the arts, both inside and outside the classroom. While she sharpened her writing skills during the day, she explored the sights and sounds of the city at night. It was during this time that Trudy discovered her absolute passion for live music. But she'll tell you more about that in our conversation. After some years working in England and exploring Europe, Trudy decided to take a trip to the Caribbean to visit friends. Her travels in the archipelago took her to St. Martin. While there, she discovered Anguilla. She decided to visit. She was smitten. There was something special about Anguilla, and she fell in love with the island. Trudy went back to the UK with Anguilla on her mind. She made her way back to the island some time later, and has called Anguilla home ever since. The little girl that grew up in the countryside in Britain has become a staple and a very important fixture in her island's community. Trudy plays an essential role in the promotion of the island's tourism product through, among other things, her magazine, True Anguilla, and her PR company, True Communications. And by the way, Trudy loves dancing to soca music. You can offer to dance with her, but be warned, she has become a true island girl, and you may not be able to keep up. She is a writer, publisher, PR consultant, chef, soca lover, dancer, and so much more. This is the story, thus far, of Trudy Nixon. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. She is a writer, an entrepreneur, and a world traveler. Trudy Nixon, welcome to Planet 30. Hi, Crispin. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. I'm in Anguilla, so why wouldn't I be good? Of course. Show off. <laughs> <laughs> Unequivocally one of my favorite people in the world, and she cooks a mean curry as well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you are in Anguilla now, Trudy, but you grew up uh, in the English countryside. What was that like? What was your childhood like? Um, my childhood was, uh, as, as to use an Anguilla phrase, really blessed, I would say. I, you know, I grew up on a farm uh, with my mom and dad, my brother, surrounded by animals in the countryside. Um and you know, had all that beautiful sort of rural idyll going on. It was a very small community that I was living in. It was very friendly. And in actual fact, that's what um, I felt when I came to Anguilla, that I was almost going back to this similar sort of uh, friendly community that I, I grew up in. Um, and then I was also very lucky to have parents that, although they were farmers, were very inquisitive and... Um, smart and like to read and they like to go all over the world when they could didn't have that much of an opportunity but at least 
once a year we went um, traveling. So you mentioned that I love to travel. I do. Not in a kind of backpacking way, more in a let's go on a nice holiday. And I was very lucky from the age of five every year. Um, my mum and dad made a point of taking us away somewhere for, for at least a week or two weeks, um, often to Spain or somewhere like that. But that kind of instilled this love of travel in me. So Trudy, what were your passions as a teenager? Because you obviously ended up in media. Did it start there or did you have other passions before? <laughs> um, my passions as a teenager, well, I think all the usual things, um, uh, trying to make as many friends as possible and um, sneak bottles of cider wherever I could. But my musical passions, which I kind of know you would probably enjoy, were actually new wave and punk rock. And um, ah. that was because of my brother and his best friend, um, who were really, really into that that um, music and kind of taught me to love it. And so um, I've always loved loved, loved, loved live music. And as soon as I was old enough, um, I went to a gig and I continued doing that all the way through my um, life. You know, when I went to university, there was a fantastic gigging culture there um, at Lancaster, at a venue called The Sugar House. And then when I moved to London, I used to go out and listen to a lot of live music as well. So live music. And then actually something that I still do now, which is... um, uh, play tennis, that was important, playing hockey and tennis, sporty things, and then most importantly, socialising always was the biggest part of my life, going to the pub. So (laughs) (laughs) well-rounded. So when did you fall in love with, um, well, other aspects of media? I know you were into music and the arts, but what was the bug that, was it in university or did you go to university with that plan? Okay, so what ended up happening was the thing I was best at at school um, was art, was drawing and painting. And I and I loved doing that, um, but I'd never really thought that I could make a career, you know, painting and drawing. Um, also, I came from a family that had never really done, been to university. Uh, so when I got the opportunity to go, I was encouraged by one of my close friends who wanted to go and who told me it would be a lot of fun. I um, actually didn't choose to go to art school because I thought that that would probably be a bit frivolous. Um, So I did have this creative side of me, but um, I ended up going to a university to study uh, sociology, but I went to a university where you could also do other subjects. So the two complementary subjects I chose um, were English, very cunningly, because that's always a difficult one to get into, and art. And this was a university that um, specialised in those three subjects so it was actually a proper art art school there and I ended up doing a, a split sort of master a split degree that encompassed all those things and I think it was a really good a really good choice for me awesome stuff so you leave university and you end up working where tell us about your early <laughs> days in London <laughs> well um I left university and and um anyone you know i am getting on a bit now crispin so i left university in oh we can't tell six uh, which is a long time ago so i i moved to london actually um at a time uh, where we were just sort of coming out of a major recession um and there was um 
this huge housing boom. Um, now, I was a sort of, you know, unemployable, basically, art student. So the thing I had to do was learn how to type, which kind of fought against, but um, was the only way. And I actually ended up taking various um, temping jobs. Um, I worked for an estate agent for some time. I worked for a, 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 um, a staffing consultancy. All of these were quite good and interesting jobs. And I, I kind of found that I really loved working. I loved nine to five, and I quickly kind of progressed through those various places. And then I got a massive break uh, when a friend of a friend introduced me to an arts organisation called ABSA, Association for Business Sponsorship of the Arts. And um, I got a job there, and that was really the sort of point where my career um, and the contacts that I made in sort of the creative industries really took off. Excellent. Now, you know, something I always tell my parents, and um, I hope they listen to this podcast, <laughs> I, I always tell my parents that I wish they had decided to have me 10 years prior, because I love the <laughs> 80s and the 90s, and I wish I was old enough to experience it. Um, in a different way. I mean, childhood in those days was awesome as well, but the music, I just, I just, I've just always loved it. What was the music scene like in London as a young adult in the 1980s? <laughs> well, I, you know, I managed to gig an awful lot. Um, a, a lot at university, I saw people, you know, so diverse, um, up there because it was part of this university circuit. So I saw people like um, uh, Elvis Costello um, and the Pogues. Um, Elvis Costello was, you know, not as major as he was, but he had as he is now. But he was he was a spectacular showman even then. The Pogues were actually his support band. Mm. Um, I saw people like Aswad. Mm. Um, the Redskins. Um, uh, I mean, literally, I would go to when I was at university. We'd go to a concert, sort of every every kind of month or so. Um, it was extraordinary. When I went down to London, I had a really good friend who loved to book the tickets and stuff. So we went out and saw an awful lot of stuff. And I mean, I guess probably what were the biggest highlights of my entire gigging career was seeing Prince at Wembley Arena. That was just like seeing him <laughs> jumping onto a piano, spinning and coming to a stop in his high heels was a, a, a sight I'll never, ever forget. Um, I'm not really big into those huge stadium bands, but I also saw U2 um, because of him. And, um, and then I saw kind of really, you know, some bands that ended up becoming big, even though they were small when I saw them, you know. A uh, little band called band called the Lighthouse Family, um, who I saw sort of playing in a pub and then became massive in the UK. Um, I even worked with somebody whose boyfriend at the time was um, uh, a member of the, this band that none of us had heard of called Coldplay. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, so some really interesting and the person that. Um, I talked to you about it was a who was a friend of my brother's. This guy called Ian Baker, and he ended up being in um, a band that was actually internationally famous called Jesus Jones, which is a guitar band. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. And so, you know, there was I had I always had a kind of connection to live music, but my um, uh, my kind of life changed really when I was walking down a street in. Um, 
in London. I was walking down a market street and I heard this music that I just absolutely loved and I'd never heard anything like it before. I went and asked the uh, guy on the stall and it was um, a boogaloo sound, a Latin boogaloo. And um, I realised that I had a real kind of connection to this kind of Latin dance beat. And um, over the next few years, I started doing a lot of, um, I started moving a bit more into world music and hearing, you know, more and and different sounds. And that took me actually to a place in Brixton um, and where I heard Soka and Calypso for the first time. Aha. Aha. That's where it grabbed you. <laughs> so shifting gears a bit, though, and I want to get back to that, but shifting gears a bit, uh, what were some of the destinations that you traveled to early on? Uh, I would imagine they were around Europe. Yes, mainly mainly Europe. I mean, uh, my parents um, spoiled us and took us to Canada and America when we were quite young because my best friend had moved out there, so we were able to go and stay with them. But apart from that, you know, France, Greece, Spain, all the Balearic Islands, um, that was the kind of main summer holiday destination for us. And I kind of grew up with this passion for all things Mediterranean and um, kind of hasn't left me. I still love that as a destination, both as for beaches and, um, and also for the culture and the food. Of course, incredible food. Yeah, um, and then I made, um, once I was uh, old enough to sort of travel myself, the first few years in London, obviously, I wasn't making the money um, to do it. I used to spend a lot of time going on holiday to a friend's cottage in Scotland, of all places, but it's a massive place in my heart now. Um, and then I started doing, um, taking advantage of uh, all the easy jet, all the cheap um, domestic airlines. So I was traveling to you know different cities a lot at the weekend that's when I would experience going to literally like I would go to Rome for four days or I went to Vienna for three days one weekend because I was living in central London and um, the flights were so incredibly low you know you could just just pop pop here and during all of that um, time um, I'd never done a winter winter sun holiday. And it was a, when I was in about, it was about 1999 and late 90s, early 2000s. Um, a friend of mine said she was going to go on holiday to Tobago and uh, to meet up with some family there. And would I like to come? And, um, and that was it. I went to Tobago and that's where I fell in love with the Caribbean. Ah. And then you threw caution to the wind and said to yourself, let me leave central London and my job and move to this tiny spit of land in the middle of the archipelago called the Caribbean and let me uh, (laughs) plant my stakes down on, on little Anguilla. What in the world prompted you to move to Anguilla? I know, I know. I mean, it. I when I sometimes when I look back now, I think I don't know how I did that. I really, really, really don't know how I managed that. But um, all I can say was it. It just felt a hundred percent right. I like I said, I I got off the plane in Tobago in the late nineties, and everything about the experience felt 
and smelt and looked right. I just felt like I was coming home. I, I can't explain it any better than that. And then um, it started sort of gnawing away at me and um, I booked a trip. Well, well, two other things happened. I had some, um, I had two sort of life's too short experiences. My mum had um, major heart problems and I had my own brush with um, health when I, <laughs> completely random, but I, um, I got mumps and I thought I was going to die. No one knew what it was. And I, um, and I really genuinely I had to call an ambulance and, and all of that stuff. And I thought, so I had this kind of, you know what, Trudy, you know, you're in your, you're in your mid to late thirties, you need to make this count. And, um, and so I, after seeing the Caribbean and knowing that's where I felt at home, I took some time off work. I'd never taken a career break at all. I took six weeks off and I came on a sort of voyage of discovery to the Caribbean that encompassed, um, Tobago and of all places Venezuela because I had some friends who were living there and the early part of the trip took me into St Martin where I jumped on a boat and one of the places the boat visited was Anguilla and I decided to stay there for for 10 days and that was where the kind of Anguilla love affair started. That is so interesting because being a British citizen you think you know, let me go to a British island, but it, it you kind of came to it in a roundabout way. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you probably know that, I mean, in the UK, it's, it's, it's better now, but back then, I mean, Anguilla was, unless you were from Anguilla, you didn't know you about had Anguilla. no idea. No, you <laughs> didn't know Anguilla even existed. And it has this sort of name that sounds like it should be like Spanish or French or something. So, you know, it's not a, it's not a Barbados or an Antigua, you know, nobody has heard of it. So, um, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was, it was puzzling to everybody that knew me. <laughs> what, you, you're moving where? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Angola. <laughs> <laughs> Did your family and friends think that you were absolutely insane for doing that? Um, I think so. Yes. Well, I think they understood, um, that I was looking for something else. Um, and of course, for the first two, maybe two to three years, it was all quite, um, you know, I was coming backwards and forwards. I didn't find a job in Anguilla immediately. As we all know, it's extremely hard to do that. So for, from the time I first met Anguilla to when I got my job at the Hotel and Tourism Association, it was about two and a half, three years. Oh my. And in that, I know. And in that time, I, I made friends on island and I came backwards and forwards as a friend, as, you know, made friends. I would research business ideas. I, I had an idea to sort of set up an upscale singles travel market to the island. Um, and I sort of just through that, I did a lot of research on island and I kind of ended up making friends. And and, and ultimately that led to, to, to me getting a job on island. But in that time, I used it to travel a little bit more. I worked for a singles travel operator, who, which which gave me the opportunity to get paid and go on holiday at the same time, and gave me some enormous um, amount of kind of feedback on what people look for when they're when they're traveling, um, and gave me some much needed exposure into the travel industry, which of course I hadn't any experience of because my experience 
to that point was, um, you know, design and um, branding. Understood. So you were working for that agency while living in Anguilla? No, no, actually, I, I did leave the agency. So I worked up until I was, I worked up um, and then I took, I basically had about two or three years between leaving my agency, which was, you know, had, had served me very well. I was doing, I'd done extremely well uh, and, you know, I could afford to take a little bit of a career break. Um, while I thought about things. Um, and then I just went off on a kind of random, I need to learn about tourism, and that's when I ended up doing this singles travel, you know, travel stuff, um, completely unrelated to really anything I'd done before. But it gave me this kind of unique um, peek into the travel industry and made me realise that I kind of, that should be my next step. Understood. What were some of the peculiar things, Trudy, that you found <laughs> in Anguilla, like in terms of culture and cultural difference? <laughs> well, I think now, um, you know, I'd almost be frightened to do the job that I did. And um, when I first arrived, which was to, when I first got a full-time job, which was to be the executive director of the Hotel Association, which was a kind of great, great job. Um but I kind of approached it like I approached my sort of job as a senior sort of um, manager in London. I was, you know, very, you know, hosted meetings, very, you know, chat, everybody sit down, everybody, you know, uh, so-and-so, do you know so-and-so? And, and um, would anyone like a cup of coffee? And all of this sort of stuff, which which is just isn't Anguilla. The differences became most obvious when I started working at the Hotel Association and I was working... Um, I was working full time and I was working, you know, mainly with Anguillians. Um, I was not being a tourist on the beach and I was in a senior position. So um, I was hosting and doing lots of meetings. So the biggest shock was when I first uh, sat down for a meeting on, I don't know, some significant committee on tourism development and they started the meeting with a prayer. Now, that could never <laughs> ever happen in London. You know, very, so. an, very Anguillian thing. Corporate meetings yes. do start with prayers. Yeah. So that was a kind of like, oh, the other thing is I was, um, I didn't understand why people didn't introduce me when I walked into a meeting. They didn't say, oh, Trudy, meet so-and-so. Or when I introduced people to each other, which would have been etiquette um, at, in my meetings in London, um, and, and then I realised, you know, after I, I, luckily one of my very good friends ultimately said to me, Trudy, you've just introduced me to my brother. <laughs> and Oh, I understand because, oh, you're saying that because um, everybody in Angola knows everybody. Because everybody in Angola knows each other. And I'm going, oh, you know, and, and quite often people have got different surnames, you know, um, or you don't meet their surname. So I'm there. Hello, this is the director of tourism. Um, uh, oh, to the chief of police at the time. Do do you know each other? You know, can I introduce you, Amelia? <laughs> to you, um, chief of chief inspector of the police, and uh, and, and Amelia said, "It's actually my brother, Trudy." 
<laughs> which of course if you if you're born at born and brought up in Anguilla you you would know that you would know that so um no so there was things like that there was some there were some things, you know, I came from the design industry um, in London. I worked in the design industry, uh, which morphed into new media, and it was very casual. And, um, you know, we we did have occasionally would wear, you know, something, we would wear something smart to, to do pictures and client meetings, but didn't have to have a suit. Our designers would might wear a jacket with a T-shirt underneath them or whatever. And then when I came to, to Angola and everyone was so formal in in the meetings and of course the air conditioning was so fierce um and i'd pitched up on island with like you know a couple of flimsy sundresses so um you know i had i did get pulled to one side by my president and said judy i have to wear a few more clothes in these meetings you know <laughs> <laughs> and i hadn't you know because i hadn't bought i i traveled to anguilla uh, at that time, with a suitcase full of of summer clothes, as far as I was seeing, I, I didn't have a I didn't have a, a business suit with me, um, and I got offered a job, and I had to take it from there. So, you know, so so stuff like that, you know, Angle is just that little bit more formal in so many ways um, than you would experience, and and um, you know, not assuming that people don't know each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And these are things you don't think about sometimes when you come from a small island, you know? No. Wow. No, no, wow. no, no, no. It, it was, uh, so that, you know, lots of, lots of stuff. Um, yeah. It's, a, it, 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 it's things, it, they, I had moments, I had moments where people telling me, no, I did things too fast. I got, <laughs> I didn't do things. How things were done around. Uh, around here, you know, um, and then I also got a lot of great feedback as well. So it was you know, all the things that you would expect. But um, for me, come, uh, it couldn't have been a better um, opening and experience into Anguilla life because you know, through my position at the Hotel Association, I really did meet people across the board in Anguilla. And like I say, most of the time I was working with Anguillians. This would not be an, an Anguillian interview without the dog in the background. You know that, right? Uh, yeah, sorry. That's the guy that, who is an Anguillian dog. <laughs> so, Trudy, you're in Anguilla. You're working with the tourist board. And you get deeper into soca music. Tell us about your uh, first experiences with live Caribbean bands as opposed to just a DJ set in London. I think it was just such a revelation to me that I could go out, um, you know, just to a regular little beach bar on um, many days of the week and listen to live music of really, really good quality. And, you know, to not have to pay a cover charge, to, you know, be able to stand there and have a drink and, and, and listen to music for free. I mean, it, it was just an extraordinary thing. And I love to dance, um, and I love to dance with kind of, you know, I like to dance with a partner. So back in the day, not quite so much now, because obviously there's a lot more DJ sets in Angola now. But back in the day, you know, you couldn't really go out and stand and listen to, 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 to a, a soca band playing or one of the local bands playing without being asked to dance, having a, you know, twirl around the dance floor. So that was just a revelation to me that I could just include live music as um, part of my everyday routine, literally, definitely every day over the weekend. Um, 
And my thing that I, you know, there's loads of things I love, but I particularly enjoyed um, the Mussingtons on a Friday night. They just have this massive, full sound that I just couldn't get over. You know, I just thought, and that was a time when they were all packed on that little stage at at Jono's and, you know, the room was just hot and crowded, but the, the level of, um, musicianship and the sound quality was just fantastic and it was just a big sweaty <laughs> happy 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 experience I love that and then I used to love um, also uh, to go to Elodius on a Sunday afternoon and um, we'd be on I'd, you know typical tourists I'd be on the beach you know drinking beers or whatever from from midday and having a picnic or getting some food from Elodius but around four o'clock the band would uh, band would, would strike up and you know you could sit there and listen to this sort of mix of you know reggae and mellow reggae usually to start off with and going into soca um, as the sunset and and that's what always I held so closely to my heart you know whenever I wasn't in Anguilla that's what I missed sort of terribly Now your experience with soca took you into carnival and Anyone on the small island of Anguilla knows that when carnival time comes, Trudy Nixon is playing mass in her costume. <laughs> but I was going to ask you, what are some of the other festivals that you've experienced around the Caribbean that, that sort of stand out in your mind? Not necessarily well, just carnival. I, no, not just carnival. But I, I'm, I'm very lucky to have uh, made um, a, a soca partner in crime in, with my dear friend Fiona Wilkinson, who you know, you know very well as well. Yes. And with Fiona, um, Fiona sort of introduced me to and sort of deepened my love of soca music. So the two of us have been, you know, travelled off to, to see quite a lot of live music over over the years. Um, a particularly memorable experience was um, following our beloved Crossfire down to Barbados and um, and actually going to crop over for, for a week, which was just seeing how the Bayesians did that. Um, I mean, we had an amazing time. Um, we also, we also tend to, you know, I also tend to go with her to any of the big kind of acts over in St. Martin, if we possibly can. And of course the acts here, but, um, you know, spent a lot of time at St. Martin Carnival even done duvet over there um, and usually go over there for whatever the big soca night or the reggae night because you know my tastes are quite broad <laughs> not just soca but I do love it. so Trudy what was it like working with the uh, Hotel and Tourism Association any takeaways um, I for me honestly it was the best job I've ever had um, uh, it was also the thing that set me up to actually find me go out on my own because um, it was a big job um, with a lot of wit, a lot of wit, that's the wrong description, a lot of, I mean, basically I, I talk with people the length and breadth of the island I met, you know, everyone from, you know, civil servants that were involved in the planning of a new community college for Anguilla through to the chefs working on the culinary team through to, you know, owners of the most amazing villa properties or the general managers of the new hotel so you really 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 got a massive cross-section of Anguilla's um, tourism experience and I I loved it 
um, I worked to um, a voluntary, I was, I worked directly to a voluntary board, um, which was at the time was headed up by Cheryl Hughes, um, who she was my president at the time. And she, she's become a really close friend and mentor to me over the years. And um, I think that experience of doing so many varied things and um, creating those relationships with people uh, across across the board really set me up to to do my own thing. And of course, um, which you know, which people might not know who are listening in, in Anguilla, um, if you are an overseas person, if you, uh, if you get a job in Anguilla, you have to go through quite a lot of hoops to get it. You have to get a work permit. Um, you have to prove that nobody else in Anguilla is capable of doing the job. Um, and you have to commit to um, finding um, somebody to shadow you and ultimately take over from you, which makes it very sustainable. So it's it, it's uh, sort of like an apprentice scheme. And that, and that is very fair and very sustainable for Anguilla. And um, so I knew I only had the job for a finite amount of time. And, um, you know, ultimately when somebody walked through the door who I felt, you know, really could do my job, um, I knew the sort of writing would be on the wall ultimately for me and I should look into setting up my own business. So, um, but like I said, I, I, I loved that job, really, really loved that job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you've worked with hotels, restaurants, concierge companies, every aspect of the tourism product. And you are sort of a branding expert. So my question to you now is, uh, what things should uh, entrepreneurs pay attention to when initially branding their companies? Because, you know, not just Anguilla, but because it's such a uh, lucrative industry in the Caribbean, you're seeing businesses pop up whether they're new guest houses, restaurants, and, you know, apps <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. What are some of the things that any entrepreneur should pay attention to when branding their new company? Because, you know, there's so much competition as well. So uh, let, let's know. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I will go back to the advice I give um, to my clients time after time. Um, and um, before you before you book your designer or ask your person to, 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 to create the branding for you. Understand, and this should all come out of your business plan anyway, understand exactly who your client is, who you're trying to reach, mm-hmm. you know, what they look like, you know, is it this type of person, is it this type of business, what, you know, who is your client, and then understand what exactly you're trying to say to them. Are you saying, I want to sell you something? Are you saying, I want to help you do something? Are you saying, you know, you need to have this? Whatever it is, those are the building blocks for um, for creating a strong brand. And I'm afraid to say I've seen too many people in Anguilla think that a good idea for a business, I'm not just Anguilla, actually this is all over the world, but a good idea for a business um, coupled with a friend who does some design who might make them a nice logo or, you know, do that initial kind of bit of branding for them is not the basis of a strong brand. A good business plan and understanding who you're communicating to and what the key messages are are the fundamentals of any good brand. Sound advice. Sound advice. 
Now, Trudy, you've traveled, as you mentioned, all through the Caribbean. What is one thing that the, that Caribbean destinations need to improve upon? I think one thing. Okay. Oh, you can give you can give no, me a couple if you wish. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm actually. I mean, okay. So one of the joys of the Caribbean is that for me, for me, is that yes, there are certain characteristics that that, that go across across the region in terms of you know, like the weather and you know the there's an element of a kind of like type of lifestyle, but. The, the islands are so different. You know, you, a Spanish island is so different to um, a French island, and that's a French island is so different to a Dutch island, so and a British island. So that's one of the exciting things for me about traveling across around the Caribbean. You know, you really literally, and you know this from Anguilla, you know, you go from a so called uh, British island, which, as we all know, is much more American than British, I would say, um, culturally. <laughs> Um, you go from an American island to St. Martin where you, you actually get a real French experience in certain areas. Indeed. Through to St. Mar- Martin where you get a real kind of truly, I mean, Dutch maybe international definitely experience, you know, all very, very difficult and you very different and you can do that within literally an hour of those three different cultural experiences. So, all that to say, what is the one thing? That's what I love about it. But the one thing I probably change is the bureaucracy. Mm. I have not been to an island yet where you didn't have to, on the whole, fill in some sort of ridiculous form and um, in an uncomfortable space <laughs> with no pens and no assistance, um, and then also probably fill in a second difficult form. Um, that is something to do with what you're bringing into the island. So, you know, all of that, now I know how to deal with it, but as um, in my initial stages as a traveller, when I did do a lot of inter-island, you know, island hopping, it's like, really? Make sure I've got at least two pens in there. <laughs> Have I really got to fill another one of those out? I love, I love that answer because it's so true. <laughs> By the time you land in Dutch St. Martin... You have to fill out their form. And then when you leave French St. Martin, there's another procedure. And then you end up in British Anguilla. It's another procedure. And whoa. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love that answer. Well, Trudy, give me one thing that Caribbean destinations are doing right. Oh, I mean, there's, there's so many things that the Caribbean does right, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and But if I was to try, you know, because of the, the natural beauty of, of what we have here, I mean, it's it's stunning, this, this chain of gloriously jewel-like islands that stretch from one continent to another, and there's so much space in between, and even... If people get a bit carried away on one island, most there's not really anything anywhere that's too built up. You know, there's no there's not major 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 signs of, of that anywhere. Um, so I think what I think um, you said what what we're doing right is that in the places that really are special and that you want to go back to time and time again. They've contained 
their tourism and they've, they've created something that's very sustainable, you know, small boutique properties with an authentic experience. And I think authenticity in this world is, is increasingly, you know, a buzzword and important. But I know that as a traveller all the way through my life, you know, from the moment I started, uh, my first trip abroad, which was stepping off the plane onto the island of Ibiza, I got a very distinct, I've got a very distinct memory of what that smelt like and felt like and, and the, the elements of Ibiza, if you know what I mean. And I think that the Caribbean needs to hold on to being the Caribbean and not trying to be a second-rate Florida or, you know, be too much like France if they're in the French, if they're in the French islands. So that would be what I would say, hold on to that and maintain that incredible sort of authenticity, um, that Caribbean experience. I hope they're listening. <laughs> now, Trudy, you were, you had the opportunity to show the world who Trudy Nixon is on a reality show called An Island Parish that aired in the UK. Tell us about that experience. <laughs> so that, that, that was an extraordinary thing. And um, I just have to sort of explain that I had no desire to be a TV uh, reality star. And when we talk about TV reality shows, this was really no um, Real Housewives. No. <laughs> it's a very, very gentle, um, faith-based, actually, um, uh, documentary series that runs in the UK. And the reason that I agreed to do it is it, it showed Anguilla from a very sort of grassroots level. It wasn't concerned with the hotels it was um it was based as you know around um island life um in churches and then also with sort of day-to-day experience of expats who had decided to locate and the reason I did it was so that my mum and dad who were back in Wiltshire and who loved the show could watch me on the television Oh. <laughs> and um, because there was this bizarre coincidence, the show had been running for many seasons, and the very, very first instance of the show, it was called A Country Parish, and it would followed the trials and tribulations of a, a young um, inner-city vicar moving to a country uh, parish. And that country parish included the village that my mum and dad lived in. So the very, very first... Um, series of this uh, island country parish um, actually had my dad walking up his cows up the road in the in, in the opening credits. It had pictures of my brother with his dog on a piece of binder twine, and it had my mum, you know, in the background. So, uh, and they'd watched the show religiously. They and their friends watched the show religiously for, I think it was like twelve episodes, twelve series. So when it came, um, somebody contacted me to help them find people to be on the show and I initially said I didn't want to do it but then um they kind of talked me into it and actually I had a laugh it was it was it made me do some stupid things uh, whenever people say reality shows are real no they're not yeah it got me doing all sorts of silly things that I wouldn't normally do do tell but <laughs> they made me do a, a no. They said, "Would you, um, for example, would you normally celebrate the Queen's birthday at home with a tea party?" and I'm like. 
no. <laughs> I'm much more likely to go down to Jono's. <laughs> you know? um, but I ended up having a party in the garden and you know, uh, invited a whole bunch of friends and we had tea and biscuits and drank, you know, pims. And it made for, you know, funny television, I guess. But, it, it you know, what you end up seeing, the end cuts of these things were absolutely, you know, quite often not what I signed up for. But luckily they were a great team, um, very reputable and um, nice people to work with. And I think and hope that ultimately Anguilla got um, some additional business um, out, of, out, out of the show. And I know it made my mum and dad happy. So that was that was the end. So as far as I was concerned, that's the most important thing. Other than your mum and dad, did anyone else in your village recognize you? <laughs> Oh, God, I i mean, it, it was, well, because, of course, by that time, you know, Facebook and social media has, you know, has been a big part of our lives for some time now. And I had all sorts of people um, coming up from various parts of my life that I'd never, um, never, ever met before. I hadn't spoken to for ages. I had a few... Um, had a few new friends I made. <laughs> I'm not a couple of friends and some very nice emails. Um, quite a lot of people asking the question, wanting to know how I managed to get here. How you do know, you? Because, how do I move? Yes, exactly. A lot of people. So I think it was there was a little bit of aspirational stuff there for some people. So um, yeah, no, it was it was a funny thing. Um, very weird, very weird being filmed, but they did a good job and they made you kind of forget you were being filmed most of the time. So so that was good. Mm-hmm. So an island parish came to you smack in the middle of your regular job that you, you sort of had a baby in the early 2010s called True Anguilla Magazine. I did. Thank you for saying it is my baby. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I love I love words and love pictures. And uh, around that time, I decided that um, uh, Anguilla needed a, a slightly different uh, type of visitor magazine. And um, I'd spotted a really excellent um, guide when I was actually on holiday in some holiday in France with my friend, who's a designer, and he'd. Um, He'd, he'd actually spotted me. He said, "Look at this! It's great. Um, it's got everything you need um, to know about the area, and it's also really got some kind of great pictures." And so, anyway, I, I spotted that, and um, I came back to Anguilla with it. And it was around the time um, a very talented young man called Orette Winter was producing a magazine called Design Anguilla, mm-hmm. uh, and I loved that magazine. I could see he had skills. And um, so I showed him the magazine that I'd spotted and I told him how I thought it would work in Anguilla. And I said, would he be interested in in partnering with me? And the two of us um, put it together and we sold a concept into people. And and, yeah, seven years ago, our little baby was born. And it's still thriving today. It is, it is. I'm not, um, uh, at the moment, I've had to, um, I've had to, to, this experience at the moment with covid um obviously print-based magazine is not getting distributed to the thousands of visitors that it normally gets distributed to um so i've had to do a little bit of re-engineering um but 
I learned uh, three years ago after um, Hurricane Irma, our dear friend, no, dear uh, friend. arrived, um, that it would be best not to date or do anything within these publications that would, you know, limit their shelf life. So, you know, luckily the, the current version of Triangular is, is about a theme rather than, you know, news, and it will be... Um, will still be usable uh, when we welcome visitors back. And in the interim, what I've done is set up a really great um, new website and concentrated on social media. So smart, so smart. And True Anguilla definitely is a wonderful publication. And Trudy, you've taken your writing from magazines and publications into the world of literature. Tell us a little bit about your books. I know you're working on something. Yeah, so in actual fact, um, I I finished a first draft of a novel, which um, will be the first of a novel series, uh, nearly three years ago, um, actually over three years ago, prior to Hurricane Irma. And um, I was lucky enough to pick up an agent um, and... I had all good hopes of, you know, selling it into a publisher and, and becoming world-famous best-selling novelist by now, but it hasn't quite happened. Um, the agent was great, but wasn't able to place me. And then we had Hurricane Irma and some other personal stuff came along. And um, so I put the, the book on hold for a while. What I've done over the last two or three months, because obviously since COVID, we've all had to um, rethink and also really make sure that we're we're, we're prioritising the things we need to do. Um, I've got the book back out. I've looked at my um, uh, plot outlines for the next novels, and I'm in the process now of getting ready to self-publish. All um, my right. Series. Mm. Can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. <laughs> Any other projects Thank that you're you. working on right now? Um, I'm always working on projects. I, 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 I've always... Uh, a bit like you, Crispin, always got things that I'm interested in and chatting with. I've just, um, um, I'm, I'm you know, waiting to see what happens in terms of the, uh, of the um, reopening here. Um, and, but I've got a couple of things um, that are just ideas at the moment. I have a really great creative team with True Anguilla. Um, I still work with Aurette. Um, and we had a brainstorming session yesterday. Um, I've just brought um, uh, a young lady called Tish Gums in to work with me, who's helping me on social media and feeding in some great ideas. Mm -hmm. And I work with um, two photographers on a regular basis, um, Jonathan Gums and Kevin Sharp, who've really helped me up the ante in the magazine doing some spectacular um, photography. So we're looking at ways of utilizing all the content, that content we have, and then also looking at you know additional marketing activities for the next um, upcoming months. I'm not saying I'll be getting into video, but hey, who knows? Those are things we're looking at as well. You know, there's there's uh, the world is uh, the digital world is our oyster because um, as you know, uh, content is king, and content one thing that we're one thing I know I'm going to pat myself on the back for is I produce good content. You do. You definitely do. Trudy, many people, I, I, I've noticed especially startups and uh, 
let's say in the Caribbean, don't necessarily see the value in hiring a PR agent. And I know that is part of the work that you do through your company, uh, True Communications. I like how everything is true. True D, True Mag, True Angola Magazine, True Communications. Um, tell us about, you know, in your opinion, I'd like you to touch on the importance of PR in launching anything, an artist, a product, uh, you know. I mean, it's incredibly important. And the thing that is great in this day and age is it's increasingly easy for people to do. You know, there's a lot of free tools for PR now that you, you know, didn't have along along the way. And it's something that, um, you know, even just a brief conversation, even just a small amount of consultancy at the beginning of a launch project for businesses could result in, a, you know, an exceptional payback. PR is a difficult one because um, it's not as measurable as certain activities. So we know that if you book a Facebook ad, um you, know, you can find the analytics on that. You can see who clicked on it. You can see who liked it or shared it. You can see all of that stuff. PR is much more kind of out there in the universe, sort of floating around to lots of people. But the, the, the great thing with PR is it can just be infused into sort of every single activity that you do. So uh, an investment at the beginning of a, a project in thinking about what your PR objectives are, basically who you want to influence, what you want to say to them, um, can really reap enormous re rewards without having to spend lots of money on advertising, uh, without having to spend lots of money on, you know, buying things or putting up billboards. It might be that, you know, choosing creating a few appropriate contacts, joining professional groups, you know, all the tricks and tools of the trade in PR or just posting, you know, using your own personal Facebook or um, personal groups to influence certain way people look at certain situations. Uh, all of that is, is PR and all of that um, you know, is eminently doable for people on a small budget. Mm-hmm. Quite, quite important in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, yes, and you're you're great at it. <laughs> thank you, you. You know, yeah, you are. But I remember when you surprised me by putting me in Liette magazine. <laughs> but it was, I mean, you know, what a PR person like. So what I can do, and I, I, I think one of the reasons why True Anguilla is quite successful um, with its its advertisers, I have like something like a ninety percent retention rate, is. When I go in and I talk to them about an advert, I also give them some complimentary PR. You know, so they're buying an ad, but they're also buying some of my time, my expertise, my reckon, my um, my recommendations on you know what might be an appropriate or good message. And for for me, I, you know, I love that Liat magazine. I love Lime. I think it's really good. But you are you were exactly the right match for them. They were looking for. Caribbean people with interesting international um, stories and experience, you know? And 
it didn't it's just finding it's just you know matching matching the publication to the person you were just you were just the right you were the right person for them so I knew that if I just popped them an email and said hey you need to know about this guy he does this this and this they're looking for content they want fresh content they can't know what's going on in Aquila so you know that was an easy hookup just just really using those those real you know those understandings of how what people are looking for you know what they're looking for and how you can help them and I thank you for it. Yeah. <laughs> now, Trudy, you've done so many things. You've been so many places. What is the ultimate goal for Trudy Nixon? <laughs> oh, okay. So, um, you know, to be happy and healthy at 100, maybe. <laughs> Good goal. Um, you know, uh, you know to, to continue to love and enjoy what I do I'm so so lucky um, to have created a, a comfortable um, life for myself and most of the time I know we're not all happy all the time but most of the time I'm interested and excited by what is come what's going to come around the corner um, I love meeting and um, generating new ideas you know you and I whenever we see each other we've always got so many things to, to talk about so many things we're thinking about getting on with or and I, I hope I just I hope I just maintain that um if I, my short-term goal is to become <laughs> a best-selling uh published author of fiction so I'll throw that one out on the table yes that's uh, that's it- that's my that's my big audacious goal at the moment put it and, into the uh, universe yeah yeah so so that so that's that one so <laughs> so i have a, a a few rapid fire questions to ask you about your adopted home your beloved anguilla you you are as anguillian uh now as you are english so i have a few questions for you uh rapid fire questions number one what is your favorite Anguillian dish? Crayfish. <laughs> grilled? Yes, grilled with uh, butter. Ooh, Darling, butter. wonderful. What is your favorite drink? Oh, dear. Well, you know, I've got to say a rum punch or a cold or a cold Heineken. It, you know, either or maybe a vodka and ting. Ooh. It's a hard question. I love them all. <laughs> what is your favorite beach in Anguilla? That's evil, Crispin. Um, so I was asked this before. I'm going to have to say rendezvous just because of its um, associations of um, marriage and friendship and fun. <laughs> August Monday or Easter Monday? Oh. <laughs> hmm. I'm gonna have to say August Monday because you know, even though I'm not the boat beach party is not my favourite thing, um, I do love Juve and uh, yeah, August August Monday. And last question: Festival del Mar or Carnival? Ooh, ooh, that's hard i do love festival del mar and i kind of love the food experience but i no, i mean 
kind of, it's like watching a movie versus watching a series. Carnival, I go for the carnival series because you've got 10 days and, of course, with the run-up of all the kind of fun and, and, and activity. So I'll go with carnival. Aha. So, Trudy, this is the segment where I strap on my spacesuit and I jump into space and I leave you on planet 30 alone. Tell the people whatever you want to tell them. The planet is yours. That's such an open-ended question. And Very. Such an open-ended thing. <laughs> okay, so I, I think, you know, and I'm no great philosopher, but I think it would be to say that um, if I can do it, if I can move my life from London to, um, to Anguilla, you know, to an island where I had no friends, no family, not even a lover, <laughs> um, and create a, a, a different type of life for myself that still encompassed all uh, my lovely life back home in England, but, but gave me a kind of really a, a new lease of life um, in my late 30s and allowed me to live a very different life where I could absorb a different culture. I would say do that. And I would also say, you know, it really does everybody. Uh, the world of good to live in an alternative culture to the one that they're brought up. I think you see things from a different perspective and I hope that I get the opportunity to live in yet another culture at some point in time. Wonderful. I think that that could be the title of one of your books, you know, Not Even a Lover. (laughs) (laughs) I always... I always like to put that one in because I was like, was it a man? I'm like, no, it was an island. <laughs> Not even a lover. Trudy, how do we contact you? How do we contact True Anguilla magazine? How do we contact you if we need any PR services through True Communications? Lay it out for us. Tell us your social media and everything. Okay, so so for True Anguilla magazine advertising, or if you just want to read more about the island, um, and you go to True Anguilla com and true is spelt with an e t-r-u-e i mean um angola.com um you can find that on facebook instagram um if you'd like to talk to me about writing my writing um you can go to my um personal website which is trudynixon.com and um if you would like to talk to me about public relations or marketing work then i would ask you to email me directly um, I don't do a huge amount of that anymore. I only tend to work with people where I feel like I can really help them and make a difference. Um, but I'm always happy to um, to meet and, and, and give what advice I can. And you can reach me on truecommunicationsatlive.com. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. One of my favorite people in the world. I can't thank you so much for being with me today on Planet 30. Oh, thank you, Crispin. I really appreciate the opportunity and um, I can't wait to uh, see you back in Anguilla and we can sit and have our one of our little special chats <laughs> of and course. discuss the, the world and soccer and everything. Of course. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet 30. Our email address is onplanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T 
T-H-I-R-T-Y, at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.